And welcome to the History of Networking on the Network Collective. This time we're talking to Alistair Woodman again about the history of voice over IP. The last time we talked about this, we started in 1996 and ended in 1996. I think, I think we got three months. We got three, three months. months. <laughs> so maybe we can double it this time, guys. Maybe we can make it into 97. <laughs> I was going to say, this time we're maybe. hoping to make it into the 2000s. <laughs> 14 years. We can just get 14 years out of it. So Jordan is on tonight, I see, with a hat. I'm confused. You're confused. How are you tonight, Jordan? <laughs> it's a Leia 7 thing. <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, all is good. It's Friday night. and uh, we're It's almost in. New Year. It's almost New Year. So yeah, we're recording this the, the Friday before New Year's, long weekend ahead. Looking forward to it. So, so exactly. see, we will, we will get into the next year. Yeah, like maybe maybe <laughs> in recording this episode. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and how are you tonight, Alistair? Are you doing okay? I see yep. you are. Let's see, someplace. Maybe a. Are you at home or at a hotel? No, no. This is a, this is home. This is home. This is Just, home? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's my sort of makeshift you know, video room where I still haven't got as professional as you guys. I don't have all the lights in place, so I keep <laughs> tearing it apart, and then you know get invited back to redo it. So I'm getting lazier and lazier in terms of booking the lights. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I actually did replace one of my lights today um, because I have these really cool LED lights that I put far away from me instead of putting the big poofy things on them. And they actually, the ones I bought, the ones I use actually have a different setting for warm and cool color. Yeah, right. So yeah. you can actually adjust the warmth of uh, the color by adjusting everything. So I sit here and play with it for hours. You know, that's that's what I have uh, my time to do. <laughs> the warmth of I my don't I don't believe you, Russ. I don't believe you have time to do this for hours. <laughs> it's alter ego. So yeah. my alter ego. So so talk to us about uh, starting in 1996, Alistair. What happened? So I think we left off. Or Jordan, did you remember where we left off? Because yeah, I we. We, we kind of left off at we started getting into standards with uh, ITU and IETF and kind of we we got through a few of them some of the early ones and I, d I don't think we got to all of them so let's start there okay okay so yeah let's so let's do standards so the 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 thing about voice over IP in those years from uh, you know <laughs> 96, 96 to 96 <laughs> is that it went from being sort of a tinker toy thing where people were just worried about connecting a you know PC up to a phone to a plan to really replace the PSDN with voice over IP. So we went from this so very dream, dream big. Exactly. And in fact, that was that at the time that was part of the the topic at Cisco. The reason we got funded for this was I did a bunch of analysis just on the business growth stuff of the Internet at the time. And this is before, you know, YouTube comes along and decides to pour, you know, infinite amounts of video onto the network. But if we looked at all the legacy traffic, the only interesting stuff was the voice network 
was bigger than the IP network at that day. So I went to management and said, hang on, we could shift all this stuff over here onto our equipment. And that was a very uh, lucrative uh, idea from a business perspective. Um, so, you know, another data point to, to add to this calculation is that at that time in 96, the internet was smaller than the PSTN in terms of, you know, net throughput and, and bits being carried. So, you know, part of it was a real land grab of we need that stuff on our infrastructure. So, um, they, the idea that we were going to go from being, you know, backhauling the occasional voice call over the IP infrastructure to getting all of it onto the IP infrastructure uh, was a bold thought. But, um, you know, the industry was having bold thoughts in 96. So um, it was the thing to do, right? So it's like it we need to... all gone like this. <laughs> I, I, I was going was gonna, was gonna, was gonna to say, were those the last bold thoughts? <laughs> Actually, I think that's probably, you know, reasonably true, right? I mean, it were, at least as far as the, you know, the plumbing side of the house was concerned, it was like, you know, where are we going to get stuff from, right? And it was... It was a bit like the Oklahoma land grab. Everybody and their dog came out, you know, we're going to take all that stuff and stick it on the internet. So because of the boom in both the, the alternate carriers as well as a lot of the uh, equipment vendor stuff, everybody was out there saying, I'm going to do this. And because it was pre.com, everybody was like, oh, okay, let's go do that, right? Because it wasn't, um, nobody thought that it was impossible. Yeah, there hadn't been a bust yet. Exactly. So, um, so, so that's what happened. And when you then stop looking at the sort of PC architecture for carrying voice and actually consider the fact that you're going to be carrying, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands and, you know, millions of calls in and out of uh, cities, you needed a totally different uh, plan in terms of building equipment that was going to do that. Um, so, the obvious place to look for inspiration was the PSTN um, because two reasons. One, they'd figured out the scale and two, you had to go connect with those guys to go get all their traffic. So we very quickly got into the issue of how do you connect, you know, IP terminating stuff to the PSTN at large scale. And, um, as we discussed last week as well, the whole topic of dial was similarly um, aggressive in that particular period. So people were building large-scale dial termination stuff to do modem uh, infrastructure, and that needed SS7 too. So um, that was when Cisco in 1997... Um, acquired a small company. Uh, I, feel, I feel like I need the date up in the in the corner of this when I exactly. Like, I, I, <laughs> this is this is where we are in the timeline right now. <laughs> well, we made it <laughs> exactly. We, we we made it over the threshold. Uh, we actually acquired Lightspeed um, to get their SS7 technology. So for all of those who actually rolled their sleeves up and got involved with voice over IP and and dial up uh, infrastructure stuff. Um, it was called the PGW by the time, you know, Cisco had acquired it and started shipping it to the marketplace. And it was uh, the workhorse for at least the next uh, five years in terms of connecting voice over IP gateways to the PSTN 
And I was speaking to somebody at Cisco. They only just stopped selling these things and went end of sale and support about four or five years ago. So uh, the PGW had a long and wow. noble run as SS7, you know, interconnect termination stuff. Um, it was a great, a great piece of technology. Um, uh, the reason we sort of acquired was because it, uh, for those of you who got some sort of uh, is most countries had their own SS7 variants. So it's not like um, in the IP world where, you know, headers don't get put on the back of packets when they go through France. Um, it's all the same, um, you know, format for stuff in, in the IP world. There was a lot of country-specific variation, which goes all the way back to sort of the uh, pre-ITU times when they were uh, building company uh, country networks each individual country had their own different flavor of how to do ss7 so you think you'd cracked the code with one country and then sometimes it was you know start over um, in terms of adding features and getting the stuff homologated so we launched many products that we could sell in one country and we couldn't sell them in the next country because we didn't have the homologation sorted out um, so, so there was another signaling system other than SS7. Tell us about that a little bit. Even though it's kind of a side, it's kind of a side thing in the history of. Um, okay, now now we're going backwards. Seriously, Russ, <laughs> we can end up in. <laughs> so, so, so the the reason it's called signaling SS7 is it's signaling system seven, and so the bright brighter amongst the the viewers might conclude there were at least six between there. So oh no, but there was another one based on IS to IS in there, right? Uh. Or maybe Signaling. not. Signaling. No, 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 no. I think you're. Oh, PNI. Oh, I'm thinking of. Oh, you want PNI? See, okay. Well, that was ATM. That's a whole bunch of. That never really made it into the PSDN. So. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, ATM was the other brilliant solution for voice over IP, right? Exactly. Because obviously, Ethernet couldn't handle the load. So. Exactly. So yeah, there, there was that was another. Um, we were fighting hand to hand combat uh, for several years on that topic of ATM was that that was what ATM was designed for. So why are you doing voice over IP? Um, and I had long conversations with executives at companies about why why would you want to be stupid enough to put voice on on IP when it should, was obviously belonged on ATM. Um, but the, the harder part was, you know, getting all the traffic off the network. And uh, a lot of that SS7 stuff was um, peculiar. Um, many places we had to deal with things like overlap signaling, if you've ever run into those, you know, details. So for the nerds out there who sort of want to know what that might be, it's, you know, when you used to press the button on phones, um, they used to, in the North American network, because the dial plan was well designed, uh, you, the switches knew how many digits you were going to type in um, to the uh, to the push button phone before it completed the number, right? So the the uh, address field is either seven digits or ten digits, depending on on where you're dialing. Um, but in many places in Europe, they they had variable length strings for the address. So you would have to send you know one digit to the switch, and the switch would go, "I'm not done yet. I need more digits." 
and you would have to send this overlap signaling just and at some point the switch would go i think i've got enough now we're done right so so there was a, a corner cases all over the place right so, and, so, so let me i think that might be historical right because in the u.s i remember working on taco switches that were physical um circular i'm trying to show in the diagram here circular <laughs> um relays yeah when you dialed there was actually the dial right the, it was yeah. not it was not dmtf it was just a physical and every time it was actually hanging up the phone and bringing it up and each time it hung the lineup or short of the lineup it would actually turn the little relay on a stand, right right and in the second digit it would go down this yep. barrel of these things and then that would be your first two digits and then your second two digits would actually transfer you to another relay and yep. then that would transfer you to the outbound pair so that's why there were fixed numbers of digits was because these relays were set up with a physical the physical structure of those relays actually made that right. number of digits so I, yep. i'm assuming then that europe didn't have any such thing at the that well, well they they did but they had their own technology for doing this right and if you think about the way that many of the the switches got implemented they used to have uh, before they even had the electromechanical stuff they used to have women typically plugging those things and connecting them together so you look in the old movies they would even in the u.s they would say you know give me berkshire 236 right so so it's a three digit for the exchange to get through and clearly the the u.s guys figured out that their network was going to be large enough it was like how many people do we have living in this country how big's the you know the the number space got to be and they designed it i think properly and in europe they sort of kept you know kept supporting this old legacy system of dial plans so in many places in europe you would have like a three-digit dial plan was sufficient to get you to your next door neighbor and then some larger towns would have five and six digit dial plans <laughs> so you had to so so it was always you know if you wanted a trunk call you you dialed zero right and that told the switch that you were you know dialing a long distance call and then it needed to figure out you know how to do that but if you didn't dial a zero to start with it was like oh it's a local call and i'm looking for three digits right or i'm looking for maybe three or four digits yeah and you know they so they had a whole bunch of you know corner case legacy stuff that that you had to deal with and um most of it wasn't really relevant but um the PTTs in those countries had spent a huge amount of time and effort and people had vested interest in testing equipment and passing homologation. So, you know, when I was working on the voice over IP stuff, I would say for a good five years, um, you know, we would have regular meetings of the guys and we would be talking about homologating stuff in various places. And we just rolled through the whole planet of getting the PGW homologated in places. And it was, you know, it was full-time employment for a goodly number of people. Yeah. So largely this was bringing on legacy equipment onto an IP network, right? Acting as a gateway. Uh, well, it was connecting IP stuff to the to the infrastructure as far as the PTTs yeah. were concerned, yeah. right? Yeah. So the guys who were doing that were like, no, 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 you're connecting stuff to the real network, right? You need to behave like 
grown-up boys and girls. And this was a reasonably new concept for, for Cisco folks, which is like, we need to do what? <laughs> Homoly witch? The IP world still doesn't act like grown-up girls and boys. So that's <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, Homoly witch? You know, it was like, what, what does that mean? Right? And, um, and it, it, you know, it was a, it was a serious... Uh, it was a serious activity, and it varied, you know, on a country-by-country country basis. Some places it was you needed to be brutally um, go through a, you know, 300-page document to prove that you were supporting ITU specs and variations. In other places, uh, bottles of wine and dinner were involved, right? And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and people were slightly more flexible about the mulligation process. It was more of a layer eight issue as opposed to <laughs> yes, <laughs> lower so level we, signaling. We train our entire population to use five digits instead of three digits. That's okay. That'll be two bottles of wine. Oh, you want that digits? That'll be three bottles of wine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right then. So, right. so so you got so you got so you got SS seven into Cisco, and what happened after that? Well, so immediately you get the SS seven stuff sorted out. You think to yourself, okay, well we're sort of done. But the other problem about the PSDN is that the signaling, i.e., the SS seven network, was separated from the transport network, which was the the bearer channels that were being carried around. So in many of these implementations we needed to have control for the um and this sort of looks very much like uh, sdn networking does now where you separate the con the control plane from the forwarding plane it's actually um, out of band and it's a completely different network correct uh, sometimes they would, you know, steal one of the bearer channels, just like the, the data guys would run IP over one of the nailed up circuits. Right. But essentially they had a separate, uh, you know, uh, nailed up connections running the signaling traffic. And depending on, so North America and the Europeans, again, had different ways of delivering these circuits to things. Some of them were completely on a separate infrastructure and completely out of band. Other times they were sort of in the T1 bundle. Um, so you could, they could be provisioned in multiple different ways. And that was another problem that kept you know engineers busy was providing that physical termination of that uh, uh, signaling channel so that we could put it close to the the gateway and essentially control the gateway to you know terminate traffic so because of that there was a requirement to build the equivalent or something that looked like open flow for voice over ip so we had to come up with a solution for that problem of you've got a call control device separated from one of these big ass gateways and you need some control mechanism of doing that. And uh, we spoke uh, from within Cisco, we talked to the guys at Belcor and came up with sort of an idea, but because of the time, there were a whole bunch of other people coming up with similar ideas. So level three, uh, was rolling their own. Um, this was back in the sort of 90, 97, 98 time period. They developed their own uh, mechanism of and their own core control software. So um, uh, they developed their own standard. 
And then, of course, everybody was arguing about whose you know proprietary version was better, and that's where the sort of the community, the industry, agreed to take the SGCP standard and turn it into MGCP. Um, so this was the protocol that would talk from the call control to uh, either a dial gateway or a voice over IP gateway to tell the box to basically, there was an inbound circuit that you needed to either connect to a modem or connect to a DSP to do voice transcoding. And so, this is where you needed to send that stuff. So, so, so first point, RFC 1925, Rule 11. <clears throat> Second point. <laughs> Russell's favorite. <laughs> exactly. Second point. <laughs> so describe. So this this protocol was essentially just carrying signaling, right? It was just saying, bring up a circuit here or do a, start a phone call from here to there type of thing, right? Is that? It wasn't even doing that. It wasn't even doing that. So so the call agent. The um, the so call agent. I is, never did voice over IP at Cisco because this all confused me. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, cl clearly yeah. <laughs> right. No, the call agent would talk to another call agent, potentially using H three twenty three or SIP. Um, but the interesting, the, inter the 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 instructions that were essentially being set down to the gateway was on DS zero number three on that you know T one or that E one circuit or that um, you know T three circuit. There's there's something coming in at the moment that you need to attach a particular resource to. So, so since this it, is all TDM, it's actually telling it which time slice is going to go into for that, or correct, and and then also please attach a DSP on there with this codec because okay. you had to know what and and that the the box itself, the gateway, did not understand whether that was a sane command or not. It was up to the call agent to talk to the call agent at the other end and say, "I'm going to tell my guy to use." this particular codec, you tell your guy to use the same codec, because otherwise it wouldn't work. And oh, by the way, I'm going to send that traffic on this RTP stream, and you're going to send it on this other RTP stream, and we're going to exchange that stuff with one another. So MGCP as a protocol was reasonably um, it, it didn't really know anything about the context of a session call setup. It just knew how to set up the resources inside of the gateway such that RTP streams could be generated and sent somewhere. Okay. Um, the gateway itself didn't know whether that was going to be successful or not. It was up to the call control to actually figure out that this was going to make logical sense with some other call agent somewhere so, else so, in the network. So this is a way for the gateway, the IP gateway, to talk to the SS7 system in existence today to Correct. set these things up. Okay. Now, then you said another protocol on there, which is SIP. Are we not, is that far too advanced for us still? I mean, <laughs> no, 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 no. So, so <laughs> SIP, SIP sort of starts turning up as a brainchild in 19, in late 97, 98. Um, 
And this was sort of interesting uh, to people because there was a certain amount of pathological dislike for the ITU. And as we discussed last time, H323 was an ITU protocol. So the ITF needed the equivalent thereof. And um, SIP was essentially uh, adopted as a mechanism of doing uh, call control for voice over IP stuff. Uh, again, it was designed. In fact, you can even argue that OSPF came about because of dislike of the ITU, but let's not get into that. Bingo, right? <laughs> so, so there's always a, they have one, we have to have one type discussion, right? IS minus In, IS equals zero t-shirts. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You, you, you can, so, so the algorithm, you can never have fewer standards to solve one thing than you have standards bodies. Right, so number number of standards for the same problem has to be greater than equal to the number of standard probably bodies. Probably some multiple, multiple number. It's not just two if there's two standards bodies. It's probably exactly multiple of two. Exactly. <laughs> so so along came the the you know the ITF, and uh, we spent a lot of time working on SIP stuff. So, um, and of course the the. One of the original arguments of, of SIP was it was going to be a hell of a lot simpler than H323. And by the time we were all done, it was just as complicated and desperately gory. So for people like you, Russ, that like to count up the total number of standards <laughs> on a particular topic, you know, the, the amount of RFCs with SIP written on them is, is not small, right? It was not, it's not a simple problem. So, um, um, so, so so when so SIP came about, you said like late '97 started becoming a thing. So does it actually replace H323 in this process, or is H323 still out there? Oh, so it did not replace um, H323. I think for the number of calls being set up in networks to like '99, 2000. Right, it was a long time coming. Um, mostly because it didn't do anything that H323 didn't do. And uh, again, if operators are running networks that want to connect to the PSTN, it is a hard problem to provide the level of quality and uptime that people uh, are wanting. So. Um, we spent a bunch of time since we got, you know, original calls working over 323 uh, to hardening stuff so that we didn't, uh, we didn't look like a bunch of jackasses. And, uh, <laughs> and well, so, so, so let me get, let me give you an example. I, I, of, I, I'm not sure we don't yet, but go ahead. <laughs> right. Well, let me give you an example of one of the problems that, that you would sort of run into that's sort of non-obvious, right? So if you have a T1 coming into a, coming into a box, um, and you have a bunch of DSPs connected to the back of that, T1, um, it, the DSPs are usually assigned, uh, depending on how you've designed the equipment, but can sometimes be assigned on a one-to-one -one basis with the circuit, the DS0, that's coming in. And you could end up with a situation that you had a bug in the DSP code. It might hang, it might, you know, be generating garbage as opposed to doing whatever it is, right? So the thing would lock up. Um, so if people get on calls and they typically last for three minutes, right? People are on calls and if they get a good call, they stay on the call. 
So it lasts the average three minutes or could last an hour. Um, so if you've got one DS0 free on this thing because it's not working, all the new calls arrive on that one because all the other circuits are busy. So you think to yourself, it doesn't matter if I have a problem occasionally, but actually it matters a lot because if you have a one locked up DSP, then all the new calls will arrive at that one. And then, of course, the people will get through, they'll hear garbage, they'll hang up the phone. So their call duration's five seconds. So you get a whole bunch of five-second calls turning up on a dead DSP circuit. And, of course, that's a complete classic operational issue, and it drives the, you know, drives the service providers mad because that's lost revenue as far as they're concerned and frustrated customers. So you had to find those needles in a haystack and develop operational software that would fix that. So this has got nothing to do with, you know, SIP signaling versus 323 sig signaling, right? They would all quite happily set up calls for failing DSP circuits all day long, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but it was like it, the customer's not happy, right? So you needed a mechanism of A, detecting that an abnormal number of calls were failing, Right. At which point, you know, the operation people go, I think I've got a problem over there and a mechanism of remediating that. So it took us quite a while to, you know, write enough software to make that stuff happen. And, you know, once you've done that for 323, you had to go back and make sure it was going to be working for, you know, for SIP2. Um, and if you most of your customers are still buying 323 stuff, you keep selling them 323 stuff. And then, of course, they yell more loudly about their operational issues, so you end up fixing their operational issues. So it's a stern chase trying to replace one new protocol with another new protocol, right? It's like, why? So, so how did facsimile play into any of this, or was it just basically ignored? Did anybody ever try to? Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! No! no. <laughs> oh no! We spent a bunch of time making fax relay stuff work, and it was a um, that was sort of one of the banes of our existence as well. Is that you had to be able to for anybody who's used a fax machine anytime. Right. You remember that they have a. <laughs> we should do an audience survey right here, Jordan. How many people <laughs> listening to this actually know what we're talking about? What? Oh, is oh if you've if you've been around and had to manage faxes, oh, you know. And everyone in the audience is cringing right now as we're talking about <laughs> fax gateways to IP networks because this is. I, I know I'm not alone in this as being the bane of my existence for a number of years in the enterprise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so you could pick up you, you can pick up the phone on a fax machine, right? I mean they all have a they usually all have a handset receiver on. And you can manually dial the thing and you can talk to a party on the other line. It's just it's it's a regular piece of it's a phone with a with a scanner attached, right? And so the principle of fax is that when you set up the initial call, you could talk to the person. And, you know, this is quite common feature amongst the Japanese who invented the fax machine. They would pick up the phone and they would talk to one another first and then say, oh, I've got this picture for you. And then they would lay it onto the scanner and send it through. And only then, you know, a couple of, uh, 
But long after the initial call setup, as far as the PSDN was concerned, would you hear, instead of a human voice, you'd hear the fax tones engaged on the network. And of course, if there was a fax machine on the other end, it would go, oh, hang on, I need to you know, get the humans out of the picture and replace it with all this you know, fax modem stuff. So we had to design these voice over IP gateways so that they were capable of detecting exactly the fax tone in the middle and change out the voice codec for a fax relay uh, function whenever we heard the fax tones. So, <laughs> and that of course happened in band, right? So no talking to the, uh, you know, call control about, do I think this is a good idea? It was a feature that the bearer channel had to support, and it was expected that the infrastructure did this. On and the PSTN. This, this is where we did the world a disservice. It would have been good <laughs> just not to do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, well, again, but you, 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 I agree, right? But this is, the, this is the classic thing about, you know, selling into legacy stuff, right? The, I love joking about it, but, you know, there are still people, still organizations out there that believe in the security of that fax machine over sending it over an IP network, having no understanding of where the actual data is going. And like 95% 95 of the cases, like that's going to be translated to IP somewhere now. And they're like, nope, fax machine. Oh, this is PHI, fax machine secure. It's not email. Right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But well, but again, you know, back in the, you know, back in the day, um, you know, when this all started off, there was a bunch of people still using fax for, uh, uh, and it was a non, um, it was not rare for, for most offices and even lots of homes to have, fax machine for whatever set of purposes, right? So you ended up with a system where every time I was talking to Celex, intra-exchange carries, especially if you're in the long distance business, you you get traffic, you, you concentrate traffic, right? So you have no choice because you're not the end carrier, you know, a Celex handing you traffic. So you couldn't say, well, tell you what, Mr. Celex, I'm not carrying your fax traffic. And the answer is, you're not getting my business. <laughs> so oh, that pesky, it's a very simple conversation. The, the, pes, the pesky economics of things. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so it was a, it was you know, it, and again, this made the 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 thing, the whole idea of voice over IP, which when it was originally, you know, let's just connect my microphone to my PC, um, turn from being looking a re- like a reasonably trivial activity to turning it into a being a pretty hard problem. So, um, you know, we had to reverse engineer all the features that the, um, that the internet supported, uh, sorry, the PSTN supported. But the only thing that we didn't do was modem relay, which would have been totally perverse, right? So if you connected a modem, <laughs> if you connected it's a very, modem very, on the outside. Very Inception-like, yes. Exactly. Yeah, you yeah. would be totally incepting yourself on that yeah. particular topic. And the answer is like, that's probably a bridge too far. Let's forget about that, right? So modem calls, <laughs> you know, anybody trying to do international long-distance modem calls at that particular period of time was like you're on your own buddy boy right Uh, (laughs) i don't know i mean it's 1925 right so there's always another layer of abstraction you can always add another layer you can always add another (laughs) you can recurse down that thing right so it certainly was turtles all the way down as far as that's concerned right so i mean you could always run packet 
onto digital pictures through a fax machine and then decode it on the other end if you wanted to, Alistair. Yeah, exactly. QR codes probably work quite nicely today yeah, on the fax machine. They do. <laughs> They're very good at uh, error correction. In fact, I saw this thing the other day where somebody got just a corner of a piece of a QR code, and because of the error correction capability of the QR, they could reconstruct the entire code. It was pretty Really? Pretty so it was like they had a fourth of it? They had a fourth yeah, of it? Yeah, not even a fourth of it. They're like an eighth of it. Wow. Okay, that's impressive. It's, it's so it's so ECC. Um, ECC is so built into it and stuff. It was pretty interesting. That is yeah. interesting. So now we're at SIP. We finally made it to SIP. What, what year are we in? 2000? Did we make it to 2000? Well, no, no. We're probably now in, in that time frame where we're getting stuff working and making it work um, at scale. We're 98 to 2000. Yes, everything's okay. you know going along nicely. And it was probably about the year 2000 where where serious conversations about H323 to SIP cut over and when when do we stop supporting these things became a relevant conversation because we'd sort of reached goodly maturity i would say with h323 stuff by 99 and it was foreseeable that SIP was going to turn up um and be able to do almost all of those things um, and deal with the operational problems that we've been talking about. So um, that's when it became a strategic set of conversations inside the company. Um, uh, the other interesting thing, of course, at that time is that by that time, Cisco had also bought a bunch of other properties. Um, so, so just when you thought you'd solved the problem of connecting your gateways, and we talked about the you know 5300 and the 5800 uh, last right. time we spoke, right? Because um, you know making voice over IP work on a dial platform was the logical thing to do. Um, many of the customers that we've been talking to were not happy with the size and scale of those things. We Cisco at the time had acquired Stratacom in '96. And, you know, for those of you without ATM prejudices, there were still customers out there trying to buy that stuff and deploy it. So I think, um, he's, talking about you. I think he's talking about you, Russ. <laughs> I think that was correct. Uh, could be. <laughs> <laughs> could be. <laughs> Who on this call? <laughs> so um, we built a pretty big voice over, uh, voice over ATM gateway, the AT850, and uh, executive management said, oh, that better be able to do voice over IP too because customers need, uh, you know, roadmap. So we have- Is based on the 8500? Is that the same physical chassis or was it separate? No, it was separate because okay. it was the line card. It was the, it was supposed to be the high density line card termination for the ATM switching stuff, not the switch fabric itself. Okay, all right. It was supposed like shelf design, I think, in Stratacom, uh, Stratacom speak. Right. Just one of my very first patents at Cisco was dealing with the one of the eighty five hundred line cards that didn't have didn't have enough MAC address layer two MAC address space. Really? Yes. So we. So actually, what did you do? Nail them we, on the outside? <laughs> no, 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 no. We actually invented a system using ARP where you could have multiple IP addresses use the same MAC address by adopting each other's MAC addresses. Interesting. Called, we called it the adopt a MAC hack. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
plastered more barcodes on the outside of the switch, right? So exactly. scan them all. It was, okay. It was okay. quite humorous. But I remember the 8500 very well because of that with the ATM back back plane and all the like, other yeah. yeah, that was that was a mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so we so we had those two products inside of the company. And then of course in 19 because of the scaling requirements in 99, everybody was like, well, no, 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 you need a much bigger voice over IP gateway or voice over ATM gateway. It needs to be bigger than those things that you got. So Cisco acquired transmedia. Um, which ended up turning into the you know 8260 as a product. So um, going into sort of 2000, um, 2001, just before the dot-com crash, I had three gateways, high-end gateways to deal with. Um, then, of course, the combinatorics of two sets of signaling protocols. Each of those gateways had to support... Um, uh, MGCP or as was happening at the time H248 as a standard spec which was the the ITU's response to we need to have our, pro our one protocol for gateway control um, H248 was, was set up to solve that problem so I had a like a Rubik's Cube of different combinatorics from platforms to protocols to call control that we were all trying to make work, which was a, which was an okay thing to be doing at the time because there looked like there was enough demand in the market. There were at least a thousand, probably closer to two thousand engineers working on that. We were we had a real job creation program going. <laughs> <laughs> but no one had heard of the mythical man month at that point, I assume. <laughs> well, we were seriously parallelizing things because we had to, right? I mean, there were teams all over the place just trying to make stuff work, and. Certainly, one of my challenges was to think up, you know, how do you divide the divide and conquer these things within with inside of different organizations and testing. So we had constraints around about being able to test things. As I mentioned before, the homologation stuff. Often you had to homologate this, the call control with the gateway. It was not sufficient to just say, "Oh, our gateway works." the P P PTTs in certain countries wanted to see that it worked with that gateway. So you were, you know, back to the process of handing out bottles of wine and taking people out to dinner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was a so very busy time for Alistair is around, you know what he's really good at. Yeah, well, I know who I'm calling. Like, when I show someplace. <laughs> no, no, trust me, we had a whole team of people whose job it was to go out and do that, right? I, I just wrote the checks, I think. So it was, I was less of the entertainment folks. You, but we can put you in touch if you want to know, you know who, who needs to take people out. So, um, so that was all great until, of course, the dot-com burst and the wheels fell off, right? So... We went into 2001 with a whole, with, with way too much stuff because it looked like that's what we needed. And, you know, things got, um, it was an interesting period in 2001, 2002 to figure out which of these things were going to get culled because the market had suddenly, you know, shrunk by, I would say, at least... 75% of the market had evaporated because most of it wasn't 
wasn't real, or at least it was it was there because uh, too much VC money was chasing too little uh, real customer money. So we'd we'd been selling a lot of equipment to you know startups who um, had no real business case for what they were doing, but they were burning through cash, um, which was nice while you can get it. Um, but when you know when the rubber re- when you know when you hit the buffers at the end of that period, there was a whole bunch of uh, rationalization that had to happen. Um, and that was sort of my first, uh, uh, experience with actually, well, what do you do? You know, load up the, you know, load up the, the gun and, you know, bag a lime in a nine millimeter. Right. So <laughs> we had to take a lot of products out into the parking lot and shoot them. So, um, <laughs> uh, and of course there was always somebody who was like, no, 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 that's my pet project. Oh right? yeah. And, and there's and always I, a favorite. Some, there's right. always a favorite. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I've sold that to my customer. So what are we going to do? Right. So um, uh, it was it was very there was very little technology going on in that period of time. It was all about, you know, rationalization and, and making stuff work. Um, and then sort of after that had settled down, uh, if you can say it settled down, the, the good news was the industry was no longer as manic. Most of the startups sort of died uh, during that period. And um, there was the, the resurgence of startups and why things got more interesting was the sort of IMS uh, turned up on the landscape. And um, so did you guys have, have ever had another? You guys are both looking, going, what's IMS? Are you giving me yeah, that? Yeah, I'm there. I am the, I'm the blank stare. I don't know anything about IMS. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, so uh, that may be a topic for, and, and I'm probably not the right person to give you the history of IMS. Or we might be able to rustle somebody else up. But it was, um, it was basically what the the GSM folks came up with as how to um, how to connect um, voice over IP and multimedia services in general onto the GSM network. And uh, one of the things we didn't really talk about uh, whilst we were doing all this voice over IP stuff is fundamentally, although we were making, or we, we Cisco at the time sold a lot of equipment, um, it really was somebody stole our cheese. Um, so I think I probably noticed this round about 1999, but it was obvious that when I did the calculations about how quickly we were converting people to having you know, voice over IP endpoints, to, to have real voice calls, it was pretty obvious that more cell phones were being sold in like a, ooh, a month than, than we were doing and that the rate of acceleration of cell phone growth was going to be so large that GSM was taking over. So it wasn't, um, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, the original plan in 1996 was to take all the voice over IP traffic, uh, sorry, all the voice traffic off the PSDN and stick it onto IP. And that didn't happen at all. Right? What actually happened uh, was it all came off the PSTN and went on to the GSM network. Exactly. Right. So it all went over GSM. So so the 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 GSM guys essentially went through exactly the same set of 
technical challenges that we did on the voice over IP side of the house, but they actually knew what they were doing, right? And they could also not have to worry about fax because <laughs> nobody built a fax See? machine with- See, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, actually, you are right there, change the connection, right? Because you know nobody's tried to, actually, I think there were a couple of products to actually try to do that. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the, no. the handsets were like, fun. yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> exactly. The handsets were like, we're not bothering about that stuff, right? So um, they decided quite wisely not to put, you know, an RJ45 jack on the out, uh, RJ11 jack on the outside of the cell phone, so that you couldn't connect your fax machine to it. So they were like. Job done, right? We don't have any fax relay. <laughs> so, Jordan, probably you should be working in GSM and not IP if that was your. You they, know, if they, they sound. They sound like my kind of people. <laughs> I have to say, they really do. Because <laughs> they were like, get rid of this stuff. So, um, so, so we did. We had a good time doing voice over IP, but fundamentally, when I look back at it, it was the GSM guys. Um, they had the cool feature, and the cool feature was mobility. So um, voice over IP was nice, but it was still with cables attached, right? So so, so now you know, it's gone all the way around, right? Now most of the GSM guys are running Volte, or a lot of them are. Uh, uh, they, they, they support the feature. Um, I, I would say it's too early to say that most of the traffic on on cellular networks is – is Volte transported, right? A lot of it is still going over uh, GSM. Well, I, yeah, I, GSM. Know, I, know, I know there are companies that advertise this ability to take your call from your cell phone to your laptop and stuff oh, like yeah. this. Right, yeah, 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 that's, yeah. that's, that's Volte-based. I mean, that's, you, have to, you have to do Volte to do that. Yeah, and and my my cell phone at the moment in my home when I'm when I place calls right goes over goes over my Wi-Fi network and it's backhauled right to some SIP device. So so yeah, they've adopted all that technology and it now works right. But we're we're talking twenty years we're talking twenty years on, and <laughs> <laughs> and, and I I have infinite respect for the guys who run the cellular networks and design that technology right they they have a plan for getting the job done they don't let themselves get too hassled the operators know what it really is down to which is uh they need the cellular spectrum and they need the technology to work um so they took a, and, a and long you're, time you're in to North carolina you have to build cell towers that look like trees <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and that's a good job. <laughs> I don't know. Good... I, I love seeing those because they don't look like trees. They never they look like they, trees. They stick or, like... Or, or they look like a tree, but they look like a tree that's from the wrong region. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And so you have like 20 feet taller than every tree around them. Right. Right. Because but... if they were in the trees, they really wouldn't do you much good. That's no. right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah, so we had so so we had in, from a historical perspective, we had a strong influence on what has ultimately happened in the infrastructure of, of the cellular networks. Uh, a lot of the ideas that happened in in that period, from you know ninety six to two thousand and one, are now actually being used in cellular networks to provide call setup. Um, most of the signaling traffic inside of those networks runs on SCTP. 
which uh, we developed because we needed to be able to talk um, that have signaling controllers have an alternate path to talk to one another. You had to be able to do, um, you know, failover between call control agents and SCTP uh, was the way we developed to doing that. Um, so that technology is widely used inside of many uh, cellular networks today. So SCTP doesn't typically transit the internet, um, but if you get inside of a um, if you get inside of a, a wireless carriers network, they have a bunch of SCTP traffic going around, which is carrying their signaling and does failover call control failover setup. Um, and that was uh, developed by the voice over IP community. Um, you know, back in uh, 1990, not six, 1997, um, we started on that. Um, <laughs> we're back, Jordan. I see we're, we, we're back. I, we did make some progress on this show. Well, so. well, this is, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's all about history. Well, you never get any, you know, anything that gets large-scale deployment can take 20 years to get deployed, right? Oh, of course. I mean, Somebody has an idea and it takes 20 years. This is one of my things in the industry that drives me crazy is that we all get hyped up as soon as we hear about something. And the reality is, is that, you know, there might be a few people out there who get that out there early, right. but for the, for the, for the rest of us, right. For, for, for the it's regular guys. Yeah. It's going to be a while. You're going to have some time to learn that the industry doesn't turn think, on ahead. I think Jordan just said he needs to find a job at a place that's more modern. Is that what you're saying, Jordan? That is not <laughs> what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that is what I said. <laughs> Jordan needs to Jordan needs to work in the two thousands. See, Jordan's very comfortable with voice over IP because he's still back in ninety six. Is that what you're <laughs> oh, this is not picking on Jordan's show. Come on now. <laughs> exactly. End of the year rag rag on Jordan. So, <laughs> rag on Jordan. Yeah. so cool. All right. Well, I think we are at the end of our hour or so, right, Jordan? Yeah, we're there. We're there. We're so there. we actually made it all the way through 2016. We're all the way through to two. But, but, you know, we, we talked about all the other stuff, the history of Volta, <laughs> but we talked about everything else. So that's cool. Well, thanks, Alistair. And, um, you know, next time we're going to have to have you come on and talk about the history of free range routing and chickens. I know we can do ducks and chickens. <laughs> zebras, 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 camels, and horses, chickens. and chickens. Yeah, exactly. And turtles. Exactly. <laughs> so, do I have to start back in 1996 again? Yes. <laughs> Man, I got to get off the dime. So, yeah, cool. All right. Well, thanks, Alistair. And um, like I said, we'll have you back on to talk about free range routing and some other stuff at some point in the future, whenever Jordan starts getting the inv invites out again. Yep. Excellent. So, Looking forward to it. Yeah. Right. Is there any place anybody can get in touch with you, Alistair, other than email? And I guess you're on Twitter, right? Do you tweet? No, I don't tweet. No, I don't. No, tweet. I, don't, I don't tweet either, so it's okay. No, it's, no. Brace uh, yourself. So you, you're looking He's for He's going to ask broadcast? you if you blog. <laughs> yeah, well, I could, I that, could that, do that. Too. That's the next thing. Russ tells everyone to blog. So if you yeah. want to get, if you want to unicast me, the SMS is the right thing to do. Oh, I see. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> that we're not we're not going to give that out to everybody so that's <laughs> exactly. it, uh, by the way that goes over the ss7 network 
all that still goes over SS7. Well, if it's iMessage, it doesn't. But right, I was going to say iMessage is, is stuff. pure IP, right? But, That's well, no. I, I think if you go between different carrier networks now, a lot of it. I mean, if you get the on on the on the iPhone when you get a green thing and it's been sent over SMS stuff, is that's going over. Um, that's going over the SSM. Well, that network. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's cool. So, yeah. So it ain't that ain't done yet. That ain't no. over. No. Wow. All right. Cool. Send SMS I, over fax. <laughs> I'm done. The show is done. It's over. Bye. 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 <laughs> oh okay, guys. All right. Thanks. Talk to you later.